Welcome you to the Battle Creek Tabernacle. Whether you're here in person or online, may the Lord add his rich blessing to his word today. And his word today, again, comes from the book of Colossians. We looked at how that, we called that Paul's letter to Laodicea. Because in the back part of Colossians, the last chapter, it says that this letter of Colossians should be read to the Laodiceans. The title today is Ralph of There. The sermon title today is Reconciled. And Paul says, in thankful, let's pray. Of all things, put on love and be ye thankful. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word that life brings, that we may especially near to each of our hearts, put away all the distractions that life brings, that we may focus on you and your word and what you have to say about reconciling. All right, you can turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We will review first. And John chapter 1, however, is where we are going and John Landis will bless us next week trying to fit into this same series. Uh, they call it a pericope. We'll see how that works. Um, unfortunately, the text I gave him, the, uh, they call it a pericope, right? A little passage that makes a salient point. I'm not quite up prayer conference in India. Maybe a little gap, but that's, uh, that's what we'll have to do with. I'll be at the prayer conference in Indiana next week, next Sabbath. But here we are reviewing this definition of higher class week of Colossians. And sort of the bigger picture, we saw this definition of higher criticism. It's the work of dissecting, conjecture, divine, reducting. And that this is destroying faith in the Bible as divine revelation. By the way, it's good for me to do this every once in a while, just to remember. Ellen White quote, right? So this is actually from Acts of the Apostles. So this is, a, it's an Ellen White quote, right? So it's, it's an Ellen White uh, book. And just so we, we remember what we're, no, no, it would go here. Ellen White book go over the Bible? No, or even there? No, no, it would go here, right? And this is not about degrees of inspiration, amen? And so we list primacy of apostolic authority, amen? And so we look to God's holy word, uh, and to other sources, but everything mother, an author like Ellen G. White saying things like this, turning you to the Bible, you know you're on to something. But higher criticism is a problem. It's the difference between eisegesis and exegesis, right? Eisegesis is when I take what I think and I'm kind of putting it in here. Exegesis, ek, right? You're taking out from the text. Study God's. May sound like a nuance, but it's huge, hugely different as we study God's holy word. We also saw a definite spiritualism asserts I had not been familiar with prior to this, and it says this, spiritualism asserts that men are unfallen demigods above all law. Each mind will judge itself that true knowledge places men above all law, and that all sins committed are innocent for what so this is another thing that and God doth not condemn. So this is another thing that we have to be concerned about in our day, and they were concerned about in the day. Christian is to regard the Bible. 
Again, regarding this holy word of ours, the Christian is to regard the Bible as the voice of God speaking directly to him. Come on. Thus he will find... This is God's word speaking to us. Thus he will find the wisdom which is divine. And oh, how we need And in every land, the true foundation for character building has been the same. That God of the word of God. And the change that God does in us. That's, it's a miracle, right? All we can do is believe it. Lives, it changes hearts. It's happening. This word changes things, right? It changes lives. It changes hearts and minds. A change wrought by the word. It is one as declared by the of the word. We cannot understand it. We can only believe as declared by the scriptures. It is Christ in you. The hope last week at how Christ in the work changes today, O oh Lord. Again, in review, we looked last week at how Christ is not just our creator. That would be wonderful, right? But he's also our all things consist. Also wonderful, but also by him and through him, all things consist or hold together. So you and I to a wonderful God together by Christ. That's what Colossians tells us. And oh, what a wonderful God we serve today. A God who is in the business of reconcilers or ambassadors and in the business of preparing us to be reconcilers or ambassadors of reconciliation to others. Tell you a story, biblical model, you might catch one aspect here or there. I lived in North Carolina at the time from broker. My wife was a physical therapist. Um, and we got the call from my mom down in Florida that dad was doing pretty poorly. Down there, I'm like, and uh, kind of pay our last respects. So as I'm on the way down there, I'm like the prodigal son, right? I'm thinking about, because I was pretty much like the prodigal son. A little speech, right? <laughs> A lot of things I wasn't proud of. And so on my way down there, I'm kind of rehearsing my little speech, right? <laughs> you know, I did this, I did that, you know, and I, I'm wanting to reconcile with dad, you know, as I thought he might be. And so I get down there, and instead of being, as I thought he might be, in his room, in his bed, I knew it was pretty bad. He was out on a rental, loved ones die, in the living room. And to many of you that have watched loved ones die, this is all too familiar. <clears throat> anyway, um, and he's listening, and I start in on my speech. There's dad, and he's, and he's listening, and he says to me, he says, son, he says, I can't, he meant, I forget, as I go through all my terrible things. Now, he wasn't saying he had dementia, right? He meant, I've forgiven it all. And so that's our God, amen? Indeed, he's of reconciliation, that God is a forgiving God. Indeed, he forgave all our iniquities read 14 through 23. You've been sitting a while. It's been our habit at least. You can take a big chance to stand for the reading of God's word, so would you do that with me now? You can take a big breath of fresh air, and if you want to stretch out a little, I mean, don't get too crazy. And I know how easy it is. We'd love for you to be fully awake and energized, amen, through the sermon. And I know how easy it is, because I've sat out there. And uh, so... 
verse Christ, we have rendering this morning. In whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness born of every creature, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, or dominions, or principalities, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Things consist before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He might have the preaching, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. For sometime ail things in heaven or things in earth, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet in the body of his has he reconciled. In his body of in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and in the faith ground and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which I, Paul, am made a minister. Make to God add his blessing to his holy word. You may be seated. So we start now in verse 18 and onward, but first I want to show you, you have heard about it in this church previously, but we do have some visitors here that may not have. It's called a chiasm or a chiastic structure or a chiasmus, and it is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then they're repeated in reverse order. So you have kind of half of that, that chai uh, or chi uh, letter there in this, um, in this literary device. I like to liken it to a sandwich, and I know to show you guys food before lunch is really not a good idea, but I'm going to go there, so uh, <clears throat> your mouth is watering already, I know, but uh, so, so a kayak, and then you have the middle. Um, I couldn't find a picture with just one thing in the middle, but anyway, you have the what's in the middle. And often in a chiastic structure, that middle thing is really the important thing. Hebrews thought and conveyed part. And it's all important, but this is the way that the Hebrews thought and conveyed thought was through chiastic structures and literary devices. One of my teachers, anyway, one of, one of my teachers would say that chiastic structures are kind of um, in the mind of the person who created it. And there's maybe some truth to that, but when you see corresponding thoughts uh, in a little, what we call a pericope, right? Or so um, from verse 14 through verse 20, I see a chiastic structure because you have the mention of blood, right? Redemption through blood in verse 14. And then go to the very end, you have peace through blood in verse 20. And so you have this, this parallel structure here. Um, secondly, in verse 15 and 16, you have Christ as the head of all creation, and firstborn is mentioned, right? So you have blood and blood. Now you have firstborn as the head of all creation. All are created by him and for him. 
Then go down to the, the second number two there at the bottom. The head of the church. Again, firstborn is mentioned. Firstborn from the dead there. So you had blood, blood, firstborn, firstborn, and then right in the middle might be the most important point, and that is he is before all things, and in him all who keeps things together in our day. All right, let's go to this passage now in the time we have remaining. I'm going to start in verse 18 because we've come out there already. It says, he is the head of the body of the church. Of course, this is speaking of Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So if you wonder what firstborn means, look at the eminent one. So Christ is the head of the body, right? The church. So he's the head of the church. Think about this a minute. The church, of course, is the body of Christ. That is the organism through which he acts and wants to share experience, right? So Christ is the head, and it's his will that we want to do, right, and need to be doing. Here are the hands and the feet, right? God wants us to go out, and to share the message of reconciliation. The head is telling us what to do, right? Is willing us what to do. And about this Christ being the head, the other point is the body without the head is powerless. And so that's another thing spirit of the church can get from this and that we should. Jesus Christ is the guiding spirit of the church. It is at his bidding that the church must live and move. Without him, the church cannot think the truth, cannot act correctly or decide direction. What about this firstborn from the dead? Well, we can see that this is in the context of preeminence. He is obviously not the firstborn from the dead, right? He raised Lazarus, so he's on the preeminent resurrection, the resurrection of the one, capital O, on which all other resurrections are founded. So that's our Jesus, the head of the body, the one who is the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he might have the preeminence. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father. You know what's true? That is in Jesus, all fullness should dwell. You know what struck me as I was studying this verse uh, preparing for this sermon, is the unselfishness of the Godhead, right? The Father wants Jesus to have all the fullness, right? And look at the Godhead. They're just totally unselfish. You know, make him the center, and the Holy Spirit is pointing back to Jesus, and Jesus is pointing back to the Father. There's a total unselfishness in the Godhead that's shown to us there. God, that's the gift of agape that he would love for us to have, that unselfish love, one for another should dwell. Verse, verse 19. In him all fullness should dwell. Verse 20. And having made peace. So he's not making peace. Uh, he has made peace. This says, through the blood of the cross. Now, I want, you to, I want to take you to one other text. Um, but first, I want to remind you about something else. So we're in the early part of Colossians. All of the Pauline epistles start with the work of God and then the walk of man, right? So if you're in the early parts, it's mostly the work of God. You'll find the walk of man in there, but it's primarily the work of God 
and then the walk of man. So that we're still in the early parts, so we're going to see more of the work of God than what our response to it should be. But many times we think in Greek thinking in our minds, and Greek philosophy has affected a lot of (laughs) everything. Uh, But what I'm saying in particular is we think in terms of linear, punctiliar, this point to this point, when the Bible isn't always that way. In fact, some things like deliverance, like reconciliation, like atonement, is something that has been done, right? Romans says we have the, it's, it's done, but it's still, but we know that we're also, what, in the day of atonement. So it's, it's done, but it's still what? It's still being done, right? And atonement won't have a present and a future until we're at one with God. So you could say it's a past, a present, and a future event. Go with me to one text. Keep your finger here, because there's a neat little text there that shows you this in a nutshell. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He has made peace, true, but the first fruit of justification by faith is what, Romans 5.1? Peace. And we won't truly be at peace until we're with God. So again, there's three. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, verse 10 now, who delivered us from so great a death, so he's already delivered us, and doth deliver, so he's done it in the past tense, and he will deliver, he's, he doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Do you see that? All three tenses of deliverance are right there in that one verse. So when you're thinking of some of these terms, realize that it's more than just something that's done in the past or something that's going to be done in the future. It may indeed be all three. Christ having made peace through his blood, verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth. Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross. It is our pledge of salvation. And I love this next part. We had a nice sunny day. It looks like it may be clouding a little. It's pretty sunny still out there now, and it has been the last, well, as this author goes on to say, plotting the sun from the sky. How would that feel? Well, as this author goes on to say, to remove the cross from the Christian would be be like blotting this to him. With the brings us near to God, reconciling us to him. With the relenting compassion of a father's love, Jehovah looks upon and accepts us in the beloved. Without the cross, man could have no union with the Father. On it depends our every hope. Looks up to the one who died to save him. He may rejoice with fullness of joy, for his sins are pardoned. And I love this last part. Kneeling in faith at the cross, he has reached the highest place to which man 
can attain. Amen? Isn't that amazing? You'd think, well, no, no, that's a low place. He's down there, he's praying. No, no, that's the highest place there at the foot of the cross where the ground is level. Now, this problem of atonement, this problem of reconciliation goes way back, right? Way back to Lucifer and in heaven, Lucifer declared that if the law of God was changeless and its penalty could be not be remitted, every transgressor must be forever debarred from the Creator's favor. He had claimed that the sinful race was placed beyond redemption and therefore his rightful prey. But the death of Christ was an argument in man's behalf that could not be overthrown. The penalty of the law fell upon him who was equal with God, and man was free to accept the righteousness of Christ and by a life of penitence and humiliation to triumph even as the Son of God had triumphed over the power of Satan. Oh, that precious blood, precious blood of Christ and that wondrous cross. It was not merely to accomplish the redemption of man, however, that Christ came to this earth to suffer and die. He came to magnify the law and to make it honorable. Not alone that the inhabitants of this world might regard the laws, it should be regarded, no, no, but it was to demonstrate to all worlds of the universe that God's law is unchangeable. Think about it. Could its claims have been set aside? Why even make a sacrifice, correct? Could his claims have been set aside and the Son of God have not, need not yield up his life to atone for its, and the sacrifice to which infinite love impelled the Father and the Son? The sinners might be redeemed. Death of atonement could have sufficed to do that justice and mercy. God did not change his law of the law and government of God. God did not change his law, right? But he sacrificed himself. God was in Christ. 19, we'll get there before we close. You see, the problem is this in a nutshell. The law requires righteousness, a righteous life, a perfect character, and we just don't have that to give. But Christ, coming to the earth, lived a perfect life as man in the flesh. And this he offers now as a free gift to all who will receive him. But of course we have another problem. Even if we allowed Christ to live in us from now until the day we die, we've still sinned and are deserving of death. Someone must die, and Christ did. He died the death that we deserve. His life stands for the life of men. Thus, they have, we have remission for sins that are past through the forbearance of God. We can all have his peace. He's come to reconcile, and he has reconciled, and he has made peace through the blood of the cross. Let's go on now to verse 21 and onward. But Christ, having made peace through this blood, has by him to reconcile all things to himself. There's enough power in the cross to reconcile 
everyone. Amen? No exceptions, right? In fact, Christ did something for every man in a legal or a forensic sense. And then as we believe that, as we appreciate that, as we accept that by faith, then it becomes the power of God that works in us. Amen? And that's what God would have for us. And you, verse 21, Christ having made peace, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. This reminds me so much of Romans chapter 3, right, where Paul is, is just going through this long list of, you know, you're not righteous, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter, none of you are righteous, no, not one. But then in verse 21, he says, but now, right? He turns the corner, and this reminds me of that. Yet now, even though you are enemies, even though you are alienated, and that alienated actually is in the perfect tense of the Greek, which is interesting. It's a past action that has right present results and even future results. And if you think about it, it's true, right? This nature which is within us will be within us until Jesus comes. And this mortal puts on immortality. And I didn't say our characters can't change. Christ is more powerful than the nature, amen? He can change the character. Christ can come within. That's what Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you. And so that's what 20, glory, the assurance of glory. And so that's what 21 points to, that though we were alienated and enemies, and the mind is important, right? Because that's where it all starts. It doesn't start with actions. It starts with the mind. And that's where Christ wants to start the redemption, right? In the mind. Let he gets the mind, right? The in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If he gets the mind, right, the actions will follow. And in this case, yet now have sometime alienated and enemies in their mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. Yet now, today, to God and living like his enemies, Christ is saying to you, what a message to a Yet now has he reconciled you. What a message to a lost and dying world, amen? You've been reconciled. Stop living like bond in faith. Let him love you. He's already redeemed you. Now, respond in faith. Let him come into your life and change you from the inside out. Yet, verse 22, Christ says, you have been reconciled. Verse 22, here's sort of a, a purpose clause. <clears throat> in the important, he has reconciled, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh. Super important. And that is the body, the flesh in which Christ took. And then without that atonement, he to a full sacrifice, to a full atonement, and then without that atonement, he couldn't really mediate, right? He's mediating what he's already done. of those of, And then if he couldn't mediate it, he couldn't finally be the glorifier of those of us. So it, the body of flesh is foundational. That he be this thing we call salvation, that Christ would come as us, that he became us, 
and overcame as us. Now that victory all the way to death for the taking in the body of his flesh through death all the way to death, even the death of the cross. Philippians says, flammable and unreprovable in his sight. So that's his goal, right? To present you holy and unblameable. Now, it also says in his sight, right? So it's interesting that as Christ is cleaning us up, it's as if he already looks at us as if we're already clean. Is that an already whole? He's justifying us as he's sanctifying us. He looks at us as if we're already whole. Only a parent can understand that kind of love and vision. Affiliation has been complete. God looks at us. From him, from his side, reconciliation has been completed. And so Christ, by his life, look at verse 23, this, and he will do it. Look at verse 23. He will do this. He will present you holy. That's here, right? If you continue to be provable in his sight, if you continue, so there is a conditional clause here, right? If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not just the power to do, right? Hope of the gospel. Now, that continuing in the faith is also something that Christ gives us the power to do, right? It's not like we're on our own by any means. Or the assurance, we live in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope or the assurance we looked at that previously of the gospel which you have heard which was preached by a minister now to close go with me to second corinthians 5 and we i don't think there are five there to colossians second corinthians chapter 5 because there we continue to read about reconciliation, but there it says we do Russia, Ukraine of reconciliation. Now, if you could be an ambassador and go over to Russia, Ukraine, and if you could settle that thing, right, and put everything back, um, obviously there are just saying there's more parties than just Russia and Ukraine. Um, obviously, there are other operatives happening there. I won't go into that. Uh, but anyway, we've certainly amazing, wouldn't it? you could go over there and settle that, right, and put them back together, reconcile that, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But think about what, is God, what God has called you to, of his reconciliation, what you can do. He's called you to be an ambassador of his reconciliation, amen, between God and man. What could be more important? If everybody had that, there'd be a war in the Ukraine. <laughs> and he's called you to be that, to be an ambassador for him. Look at verse 17 and onward, and here's where we... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Not only did he reconcile us, What? The ministry of reconciliation. So not only did he reconcile us, now he's given us this most amazing thing to do, right? To, and not to share reconciliation for others. To share the message. And not to share it, right, in, well, you know, read them some words from the Bible. No, no, like live it, right? And can be reconciled. They're reconciled and tell them that they can be reconciled. They have been reconciled and can be reconciled on a personal basis. Basis. God has given us a ministry of reconciling himself, not in, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed to us. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. Now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did be ye us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he as me might be made the righteous sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the closing challenge is been reconciled, but be A, it's to be reconciled. Amen? I mean, you have been reconciled, but be reconciled. Be who you really are in Christ. We're all just, you know, ministers of reconciliation everywhere we went. What a world to live in and to anything without be that. In fact, God has called us to that, and he never calls us to anything without giving us the power to do so. And oh, that we would do that in such a way through the power of God story to close. Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper story, da Vinci dedicated hands are empty, and therein lies an inspiring story. Da Vinci dedicated three years to this painting, determining that it would be his crowning work for the friend unveiling, he decided to show it to a friend whose opinion he had the utmost respect for. The friend's praise was unbounded. He's like, this is amazing. But he went on, well, disappointed hand, he said, is especially beautiful. Well, disappointed at once. Da Vinci, distinguished friend, asked for an out the cup from the painting. Astonished, the distinguished friend asked for an explanation. Nothing, Da Vinci explained, must distract. Da Vinci focused distract from the figure of Christ. Da Vinci focused attention solely on Christ by removing the distraction. <clears throat> the left hand was already outstretched above the table, lifting it as if to blow. Christ, not only right hand, also empty, was outstretched invitingly. Christ not only calls us to receive reconciliation that is already ours, such desperate, but he calls us to be reconciliation in a world with such desperate and daily need. The, the reconciliation between God and man. We're so grateful. Oh, Father of ours, we're so grateful for the reconciliation that has taken place through Christ. Jesus had to step in between and be the nice guy. No, of a appeasement of an angry God. And Jesus had to step in between and be the nice guy. No, no, no. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself for us. And oh, that we might be a fit representative and ambassador for you. What a privilege to be an ambassador of God Almighty on earth. Oh, Lord, we don't feel qualified, but you don't do. You're going to give us the very power to do that very thing. And, oh, Lord, how you need to use ambassadors. You are the head, but you want us to be the body. We are the body. Use us as your body in these last days. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.